A few years ago, there was this series on Fox, I believe it was, called Breaking Bad. And uh, Vince Gilligan, the creator of the series, was asked at one point, um, why did you, or how did you come up with the name for the series? And he said, well, at first I thought everybody knew what this meant. He said, where I grew up in Virginia, uh, it was a common phrase, but it basically means going over the top in terms of bad, um, doing something extraordinary, bad or evil. Uh, So today, I want to turn the table on that and title this sermon, Breaking Good. So in the same way, I want to talk about extraordinary good, not just um, your average good, but extraordinary good. And I think that's what we're talking about when we talk about forgiveness. Um, Last week, Dave introduced us to Jacob and Esau. Now, Jacob is where we're going to pick up today because that's where the book of Genesis picks up and moves on. Not not with Esau, but with with Jacob. Now, Jacob had 12 sons. Now, I've got quite a bit of storytelling to do before I get to what I want to say to you today, so... Um, actually, I think uh, Jacob's life and the life of his sons in particular is more of a saga than it is a story. So there's a lot going on there. You can start in Genesis 37 and, and not finish until Genesis 50 with uh, the story of Jacob and his sons. Well, he had 12 sons. You all know this by now. And... Uh, He had one son in particular whose name was Joseph. Joseph was his next to youngest son. And Joseph happened to be his favorite. It's pretty obvious because on one occasion, he hand makes this special coat. It was called the amazing Technicolor dream coat. (laughs) Actually, the Bible calls it the coat of many colors. And he gave it to Joseph as a special gift, a special gift. And his brothers saw this, and we read in Genesis 37, 4, that they saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, and they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Well, they didn't get off to a good start, that is. And so a bit later, Joseph has a couple of dreams. And uh, he decides that he's going to share these with his brothers and also with his father. And so he does. Well, the essence of the dreams was that one day you're going to bow down to me. And the brothers didn't take too well to this. And they said, in essence, are you kidding us? We're going to bow down to you, you little bleep bleep punk. We're going to bow down to you. And we're going to serve you. And then the scriptures say that they hated him even more. So there's this animosity that's growing between them. And so later on, um, Jacob says to, to Joseph, he says, listen, all the boys are out taking care of the sheep. I, I, I need a report. I need to know how they're doing. So would you please go out and check on them and come back and let me know. So Joseph takes off going out to find his brothers, and eventually he finds them. 
Well, as he's coming in the distance, the brothers see him coming and they say, look who's coming. It's the dreamer, the little dreamer boy. And then some of them say, you know what? I've had it about up to here with him. Let's kill him. Well, Reuben, the eldest, who evidently has some modicum of decency, says, no, let's don't kill him, okay? Let's just throw him in a pit. So he arrives, and they strip him of his, his nice robe, and they throw him in this pit. Um, Reuben leaves the scene for a period of time. The Bible reveals that his plan was actually to go back and rescue Joseph and take him to his father later on. That's what he was going to do. But uh, he, he leaves the scene, and while he's gone, the brothers come up with another plan because in the distance, here comes a caravan of Midianites heading down to Egypt. And they go, you know what? Let's do this. Let's sell him to the Midianites. And so they do. They transact this, this deal. And, and it's, it says that they sold him for 20 pieces of silver to the Midianites. And so the Midianites leave, taking Joseph on down to Egypt. Well, a short time later, Reuben arrives back on the scene, and he walks over to the pit, and there's no Joseph, and he says, where is he? What in the world am I going to do now? I am the eldest, in essence. This is what he's getting at. And I'm going to be held responsible. Where in the world am I going to go? So they come up with this plan, and they say, here's what we'll do. We'll kill a goat, and we'll take the blood from that goat, and we'll drench his coat in it, and then we'll take it back to our father, and we'll say, look, here's, here's what happened to Joseph. We found his coat. And evidently a wild animal attacked him and tore him to pieces. There was nothing left of him to even bring back to you. All we have is this coat. And so Jacob mourns the loss of his son, his, his special son, his prized son. And for the next 22 years, he lives with the belief that his son is gone. Well, his son is not gone because his son is now in Egypt. And you know that as the reader, right? You know this, but, but Jacob doesn't know this. But Joseph is in Egypt, and he's, he's sold when he gets to Egypt to a commander, a captain of the guard, it says, in Pharaoh's army. His name is Potiphar, and he sold to Potiphar, and, and he becomes a slave in Potiphar's household. Potiphar, evidently, if you read the story there, was a wealthy man. And, and Joseph gained such favor with Potiphar that Potiphar put him in charge of everything. He says he didn't, he didn't concern himself with anything. He trusted Joseph so much that, that he turned over everything to him, the management of his entire household, and Joseph served him well. Well, one day, Potiphar's wife, Potiphar left town. Potiphar's wife set her eyes on Joseph, and she wanted to have a relationship with him, and she was, in essence, begging him to come sleep with her. And Joseph says, no, 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 that would be good, because 
my master has put everything under me, and I'm in charge, and I don't want to disappoint him. And then he goes on to say this, which to me is one of the most fascinating statements in all of Scripture. He says, how can I do this thing and sin against God? I'm like, whoa, dude, you are at a level that I only dream about being at. You know, it's like in that moment, he's thinking about God, and he's like, no way, no way. Well, she keeps after him, and finally one day, she grabs a hold of his garment, uh, his, his outer garment, and she's begging him to come sleep with her. Now, the Bible also says that, that Joseph was, was uh, handsome in form and appearance. So he's a nice-looking guy. So she's really after him, and she, she's begging him to come sleep with her. And so he runs from, from the home there, and... As he does, she hangs on to the garment. Well, she's had enough. And out of spite, she calls in some other servants and she says, Look, this Hebrew came in here and tried to sleep with me. And here's proof. I've got his garment. So Potiphar comes home. They tell the story to Potiphar. And lo and behold, Potiphar believes it. And he gets very angry and he throws Joseph in prison. Falsely accused, but he's thrown into prison, and there he sits in prison. Well, he, be, he becomes so well-favored and well-liked in prison, guess what? The warden puts him over the entire prison. I mean, he must have been an incredible guy, right? So he puts him over the entire prison. Everything, it says, and the Bible stresses this, everything was put under his charge, and the warden didn't have to worry about a thing. Well, one day, as he's going about his duties there, in walks Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and his chief baker. All right, they, they, they walk into the prison. Oh, I think they're kind of dragged into the prison because uh, he was angry with them. I don't know what they did. It doesn't spell it out, but there they are. And, and then they're in the, in the prison for a while. And then one day Joseph notices that they're kind of downcast. And he says, hey, what's going on? What's wrong? And so the chief cupbearer says, well, I've had this dream and I can't figure it out. And Joseph's like, well, tell me the dream because God is the one who interprets dreams. And maybe I can do that for you. And so he tells him the story, his dream. And then lo and behold, the uh, chief bakers had a dream too. And same thing happens with him. He tells Tells Joseph the essence of his dream. And Joseph said, well, here's, here's what's going to happen, guys. To the chief cupbearer, he says, in three days, your head is going to be lifted up and you will be restored to your, to your position there with the king. And I'm sorry to say, Mr. Chief Baker, in three days, your head is going to be lifted up, but in a different way. It will be removed from your shoulders. and You're going to die. And Joseph then says to the chief cupbearer, says, listen, whenever you see the king, just remember me, okay? Remember me. Remember that I interpreted this dream for you. You know, put in a good word for me. So he goes, these, these folk, three days, they're pulled out, go before the king, and sure enough, exactly what Joseph said would happen, happens. And the chief cupbearer forgets Joseph. That's what it says. He forgets him. And so, for the next two years, he stays in prison. And it wasn't all rosy, even though he's put in charge. He still had to stay in a dungeon. He is thrown in another pit, if you will, and he's there in prison. 
left to right. And then finally, two years later, Pharaoh, the king himself, has a dream. He has a dream. And he's like, what does this mean? What does this mean? Nobody can tell him. And and the cupbearer all of a sudden recalls Joseph. And he says, oh, what was I thinking? I was supposed to put in a good word, but I didn't. Anyway, there's this guy down in prison. He interpreted my dream. He can interpret yours. Well, go get him then. So they went and got him, and they brought him to the king. And the king tells him his dream. And Joseph says, here's what's going to happen. There's going to be seven years of plenty. I mean, an abundance of, of grain is going to grow in our land. But then after that, there's going to be seven years of famine. And Pharaoh, here's what you need to do. You need to put somebody who's very smart, very wise in charge so that they can begin to prepare the land for the seven years of famine that's coming because it's going to be really bad. And so Pharaoh says, well, guess what? You're the guy. You are the guy. And so he becomes the second in command to Pharaoh. The second in command. And once again, Pharaoh puts everything in his charge. He is 30 years old at this time. He got thrown or sold to the Midianites when he was 17. So 13 years and now he is second in command over all of Egypt. And he does his thing. He prepares Egypt for seven years of famine. So about two years into the famine, we encounter the reunion. So chapter 42. I'm going to read some of this with you now. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale... In Egypt, Genesis chapter 42. He said to his sons, why do you look at one another? Okay, so here's the the picture. Jacob's brothers, they're living with their father. Actually, they were living in Bethlehem. That's where they lived. And so it's been two years into this famine and everybody's suffering, not just Egypt, but all the the outlying areas are are suffering as well. And so his brothers, his his family, they're suffering. And so, so the father says, what are you looking at? To the boys, he says, get down to Egypt and buy us some food. Egypt's got food. Go buy some food. So, he says, I've heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go down and buy some that we may live and not die. So, ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus, the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came. For the famine was in the land of Canaan. So you see, Jacob would not send the youngest brother, Benjamin, because he's already lost one son. And now he doesn't want to lose Joseph's brother. Now Joseph was governor over the land, right? We already know that. He was the one who sold to all the people of the Lord. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw this. I saw his brothers, and he recognized them. But he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. That you're going to bow down to me. And he said to them, you are spies. You've come to see the nakedness of the land. In other words, you've you've come to, to find our weaknesses. 
They said to him, No, my Lord, your servants have, have come to buy food. We're all sons of one man. We're honest men. Your servants have never been spies. Well, they certainly held a lot of secrets. He said to them, No, it's the nakedness of the land that you've come to see. And they said, We, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, It is as I said to you, you are spies. Now skip down to verse 18. So he throws them in custody, in jail for three days. And I'm thinking, for these three days, he's thinking of a plan. All right? On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you're honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in, while you are in custody, or where you are in custody, and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households, and bring your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified and you shall not die. And ultimately, that's what they did. But here's what I want you to see, okay? They, they kind of turn to one another after Joseph says, this is what I want you to do. And they say to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother. And that we saw the distress of his soul. And he begged us. And we did not listen. This is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them. For there was an interpreter between them. You see, they think Joseph is an Egyptian, but he's not. He's their brother, right? And there's an interpreter that's interpreting. They don't think he can understand them, and they're talking, but he can understand them, and he's hearing what they're saying. And when he hears their conversation, he turned away from them and wept. Can you imagine the emotions that are flooding into Joseph's heart in this moment? I mean, I ask the question, why is he weeping? Well, it's probably a number of reasons, right? But one reason, you you can't miss this, and this has to be true because of the nature of what plays out, he is weeping because of the pain, not, his own, not just his pain, but the pain of his brothers. He sees what they're going through, and he's weeping on their behalf as well. Now, they expect a reckoning. Reuben says, Our day of reckoning has come for what we've done. But for Joseph, who has every right to require that of them, his pain, his pain does not convert to judgment. His pain, therefore, has not led to bitterness in his life. Therefore, it's not led to anger or hatred but yet forgiveness. He has a plan, you see, but it's not to harm them. Reminds me of what Jeremiah says. You know, my, my, my plan, God says, is not to harm you, 
My plan is to prosper you and to give you a future. And here, here Joseph is embracing that very thing. He's thinking about blessing his brothers and not harming them. And like I said, the rest of the story bears that up. And you can read it when you have an opportunity. Although the brothers find this hard to believe, they expect judgment. They expect judgment. Even after Jacob dies, at at the end of Genesis in chapter 50, we read this. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may not be that Joseph will hate us, or it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, see, they're still thinking our day of reckoning is coming. So they send this message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of God, of the God of your father. So when he heard that, he, he wept again. Joseph wept. And his brothers also come and they, they fall down at his feet. Behold, we're your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? Now check this out. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. How amazing is that? They expect judgment. They live with this cloud of judgment even. And here, Joseph reassures them, you're going to get forgiveness. Not only that, I'm going to take care of you. Now, I want you to think for a moment. Do you see the magnitude of what's happening here? Can you see the magnitude of what's happening? In one sense, there is no Israel if Joseph does not forgive his brothers. So do you see, the whole future of Israel rests upon this one man and what he's going to do in this one moment. Is he going to lash out and wipe out the entire clan? Or is he going to forgive? like, well, God is sovereign, and, you know, well, yes, God's sovereign, but there's also human responsibility, and and trust me, things are in the balance here. What is he going to do? What is he going to do? Don't miss this, too. His confidence, the thing that allows him to forgive those that he loves, those that have been closest to him in his life, those that have hurt him the deepest, the thing that allows him to forgive them is his trust in God's providence. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God knew exactly what he was doing. God was in control of all this. He sent me ahead of you so that I could save you. (laughs) That's an important point. Don't miss that connection. Now, just insert yourself for a moment into Joseph, Joseph's shoes. Could you do what he did? 
Suppose yourself to be in that position. Could you offer forgiveness to those who have hurt you the deepest? What would you do? Would it be bitterness or would it be forgiveness? Would you withhold blessing or would you give a blessing? Would you be a healer or would you perpetuate the pain? You see, you're in a position of power, right? It's like, it's like you're second in command. I mean, you've got all the food, right? I mean, you, you have been raised and seated in heavenly places with Jesus Christ. You've been given a kingdom. You're an heir and you're a joint heir with Christ. All things are yours. This entire earth, this entire universe is going to be yours one day, right, in actuality. But in principle, it's yours already. You're already wealthy beyond your wildest imaginations. You're in command. You've got the power. And your pain maker shows up at your front door. What are you going to do? Are you going to forgive? Are you going to lift the burden? Well, why should you? You say, give me one good reason. Well, here's your reason. There's your reason. Jesus, think about what you did to him. Okay? Now, by the way, you have to be able to insert yourself into Scripture and see yourself as an abuser of Jesus, as a hater of Jesus. you got to insert yourself into the story of 12 brothers, okay, and see yourself as the brother. So what do you do to Jesus? Jesus is presented to you, and instead of warmly receive him as one of your own, you reject him. Ultimately, you want to kill him, right? I mean, crucify him, crucify him. But because you can't kill him, you throw him in a pit. You hide him away, right? You don't want Jesus to be a part of your life. You fight it. You fight it. And then circumstances, difficulty, hardship, one day bring you to to his feet. And there you are. You know what you've done. You know your DNA is all over the crime scene. You know your fingerprints are on the hammer. You know it. You know what you've done. And there you are at his feet. You expect judgment. You expect judgment. And what do you get? (laughs) And that... How many times does that repeat itself in our lives? You go to Jesus. You know, you've been sinful. You've made sinful choices. Even as a Christian, you go to Jesus and you say, I am, I am so sorry. You go there thinking he's going to judge you. He's going to extract some kind of retribution from you. And what do you get? Forgiveness. A lifting of the burden. 
Here, let me take that from you. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That is a true statement. That is truth. And it happens every time you sin. You go to him. You confess your sins. And guess what he does? He lifts your burden every time. Every time. And guess what? You don't have to do penance either. You don't have to go and do a bunch of Hail Marys. You don't have to go and do a bunch of works. You're free. Completely free. Totally free. In the scriptures, free means free. (laughs) You came to him expecting judgment, but you got mercy. And you're obligated to give the same thing to the people that have wronged you. The same kind of forgiveness. Scripture bears that out. So turn the key. You've got the key. The key is forgiveness. Turn the key. Turn the key and pop open the lock that holds your offenders in chains. And by you doing that, you're going to lift the burden and potentially, perhaps, they might come to Christ too. Because the light of Christ shone through you as you forgave your offenders. Listen, there are all sorts of Places that you can apply this. Also, there's people in your past that actually need um, to be sought out by you so that they can forgive you, right? We did a lot of stuff when we were teenagers, right? Any of you bully people when you were a teenager? Don't raise your hand, please. You'll get you'll get marked out and put on the news. You know. Um, I mean, there's all sorts of reasons. And listen, here's one particular application I want to give you before I close. It has to do with marriage. All right? You want to know, I mean, you want to know where forgiveness can get applied almost daily? It's in marriage. And some of you, your hearts are hard and you don't forgive your spouse and you don't practice forgiveness. Okay? In fact, Jesus said to Moses, this is the reason that Moses gave you divorce. It's because of the hardness of your hearts. Now, let me just say something to you. Um, I, I, I'm preaching from experience. I'm divorced. I hate to admit it. I mean, that strikes my pride big time. It's like 18 years ago. When I came to New Hope Church, I was a broken man, 2004. I was broken. I was busted up. I had failed God. And I sat in service that day, and the pastor's speaking, and he's talking about gifts, using your gifts for the Lord. And I'm sitting there seething inside thinking, what good am I? <clears throat> I 
And then at the end of that service, I was walking out, and a man said to me, Phil, in essence, Phil, I want you to know that, that God still wants to use you. <laughs> I think that kind of started the healing process. That, those words were symbolic of God's forgiveness to me. And, and I drove home. I wept all the way home. So when I, listen, I, I, I know the hurt and the pain of divorce. I know the sorrow that it, that it can cause in, in your life. And if it's true, if st- statistics are true, then 50% of all people, maybe even more now, end up in divorce. Well, guess what? The reason that a lot of people end up divorced is because of hard hearts and because of no forgiveness along the way. No ownership of needing forgiveness. Honey, please forgive me. I did this. I said this the other day. I was insensitive. I shouldn't have done it. And no no offering of forgiveness. I accept that. I love you. I forgive you. You see, and then one day, one day, you're meeting with a lawyer. And, and then, then you say, what went wrong? It's a bunch of little things along the way. That's what went wrong. So I've asked God many times, what, God, what do you want me to say? I mean, how do I use this in my past to help people? I hate admitting to you that I'm divorced. I hate it. It's a scar in my past. I don't like it. I never intended to do it. But here I am. So, you know, and I struggle over this moment right now. I was like, do I say something? Because I know a bunch of you didn't know that. A bunch of you did. So do I reveal this about me? Or do I not? Do I just keep it a secret? I'm like, heck, I'm too old for secrets. I don't care anymore. I don't care. I don't, I don't care. The only reason I'm here today is by the grace of God. That's it. That's the only reason I stand up here and preach to you. And here's the message. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. I don't care how bad you've been wronged. Listen, it takes a lot for you to be wronged as much as Joseph. It takes a lot, 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 lot more for you to be wronged as much as Jesus. In fact, you could never be wrong as much as Jesus, right? So the most wrong person in history forgave you for the wrongs that you committed against him, that you helped commit. Now you go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father, help us to to break through. Lord, help us not to just be mediocre with our goodness, Lord, but help us to do radical things, radical things like forgive people. It takes humility to forgive another individual, but, Lord, relationships are not healed without forgiveness. It has to happen. It's an essential ingredient of healing broken relationships. So help us to break through in this way, Father, and help us to stand, Lord, in keeping with your providence and know that that 
There's been a lot of evil that has happened in our lives. But yet, Lord, you cause all things to work together for good for those who love you, who are called according to your purpose. And, Lord, you can convert. You can transform every bad, every evil, and can use it for your glory, Lord. Help us. Help us to look to you and to depend on you in that manner. Trusting, Lord. Trusting that nothing is too difficult for you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'm going to turn to our benediction passage. Um, Just to add something that I just thought of. Um, Divorced people. Okay. This is a word of application. It came to me a couple of weeks ago when Dave was speaking. You, um, listen, the nature of relationship with your ex is really important. Okay? Some people think you just have a license to go forward and hate your ex and to, and to hold anger against your ex. There is no such license. Right? And let me say something else. You want to talk about fallout from that? Your children are watching you. The children that are already damaged because of the divorce, now let's face it, there's no such thing from children not getting scars from divorce. I know that. So there's a lot of work to be done. But let me tell you something. If they watch you as a parent hold on to bitterness and anger at your ex, that's going to set them up for hate and anger and bitterness. You're going to just repeat yourself to them. So beware of that. Forgive, forgive, forgive. Across the board, forgive. There's no place that forgiveness should not touch. Ephesians chapter 4. Come on, Wi-Fi. (laughs) Just imagine I'm flipping pages trying to find it. There we go. Okay. Please stand. Now, once again, right after this, uh, uh, go gather your children. We've got about five minutes, so at 11.15, we'll start the family meeting. Please bow your heads and receive this word. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. God, give us the grace to carry this out in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.